Podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. In honor of Halloween, we're spending the month listening to ghost stories. And this week, I chose a story entitled Lansford House or The Green Vase, depending on which episode guide you trust. Either way, it's a story from Beyond Midnight, a horror series that ran from 1968 to 1970 on Springbok Radio in South Africa. The program was created by writer, actor, and radio producer Michael McCabe. Beyond Midnight was a follow-up to another radio series by McCabe, a science fiction anthology called SF-68. McCabe was born in England but moved to Africa in the 1960s. After a short stint as a stage actor in Kenya, he joined the production staff at Springbok Radio, quickly becoming one of their top talents. Springbok Radio was South Africa's first commercial radio station, broadcasting from 1950 to 1985. In addition to Beyond Midnight, the station produced many notable series, including The Creaking Door, an adaptation of Hyman Brown's horror hit Inner Sanctum, and a short-lived radio version of the TV series The Avengers. That's Steed and Peel Avengers, not... Hulk and Thor Avengers. When McCabe was not writing and producing for radio, he was acting. By the late 1970s, McCabe was one of South Africa's leading stage actors with award-winning performances in Butley, Shadowlands, and The Dresser. In 2005, McCabe was honored with a Lifetime Achievement Award for his work on the stage. Beyond Midnight focused on tales of supernatural suspense. McCabe wrote several original scripts for the series, but most were adaptations of classic stories by authors such as H.G. Wells, F. Marion Crawford, Henry James, E. Nesbitt, and Charles Dickens. Lansford House slash The Green Vase was one of the few contemporary stories adapted for the series. It was based on a little-known story by Dennis Reut called The Green Vase, which may explain the confusion over the name. The story's first and apparently only appearance in print was in an anthology called Dark Mind, Dark Heart, published in 1962 by Arkham House Press. Now let's listen to Lansford House, a.k.a. The Green Vase, from Beyond Midnight, originally broadcast in South Africa, January 24th, 1969. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music and listen to the voices. I came into possession of the Lansford House through the accident of my uncle's death. My inheritance from him enabled me to buy it, for it was the isolated kind of dwelling I'd been looking for in order to finish a novel I was working on. I've always found it impossible to create anything worthwhile in the noise of the city. The house was fully furnished, but since it had been empty for many years, it was extremely dusty, and I spent my first day cleaning away the dust in the few rooms I intended to use. Lansford House. I remember the place as if it were only yesterday I discovered the green vase, learnt its terrible secret, and passed so nearly through the veil that separates sanity and the madness that lies 
beyond midnight. Biotech. The new soap and pre-wash powder presents Beyond Midnight by Michael McKay. Lancet House, Mr. Royd. It's very big, of course, but plenty built and big in those days. If it wasn't so strongly built, it would have fallen to pieces years ago. A house needs to be cared for. Leave it empty. <laughs> hmm. Well, it's what I'm looking for. Nicely back from the road, surrounded by trees. A lot of trees, yes. Fields, pastures. It's hard to find somewhere without any close neighbors these days. Oh, I can show you others. There's a place in... Um... Feltham, I want to buy Lancet. You do? I do. Well, then, uh, nothing else I've no. Right, sir. You uh, write books, you say? I write books, yes. When can I take possession? Today. Oh, marvelous. I'm halfway through a book at the moment, you see. I've been stuck for weeks. I need peace now. Quiet. No. For five days after moving in, I worked from five in the morning right through the day until it was dark. The book progressed beautifully. I was even thinking of who the film rights should go to when I hit another dull patch. Nothing. I destroyed a few thousand words and left the typewriter until a possible return of inspiration. I was fairly satisfied, though, and it was with a lot of pleasure that I began to examine more carefully the house I'd so quickly and perhaps rashly bought. In most ways, it was typical of the houses erected in the country a hundred years ago. It needed a lot of money spent on it before it would assume the splendor it deserved. But I needed only one or two rooms. One thing puzzled me. The little attic. Accidentally knocked off a shelf 
a canister. It opened, and a piece of folded paper fell out. An old piece of paper, brown with age, badly worn and tattered. on the paper. It was barely legible. The ink had faded badly and large sections of the script had been worn or torn away. It was dated over 30 years before and all that remained of the entire first paragraph beneath the date was Stephen Lansford, a young man of 25. And that was all the first paragraph said. Thereafter occurred a puzzling sequence of Half lines, sentences, paragraphs, in this order. To have him tutored in the arts. Particularly gifted in pottery making. Stephen developed a great fondness for his tutor, and under his guidance did the only constructive work of his life. A crude, ugly vase, bilious green in color. Stephen was proud of it kept it on the center of a small table in the living room. Dismissed. Stephen raged for days, and there began a subtle deterioration of a character which had always heretofore been shy and retiring. Ugly metamorphosis, a kind of madness in the course of which he would never allow his vase to be moved made his mother promise that it would never be moved under pain of dire punishment, but left to stand where he had put it. Some strange elemental bond seemed to have developed between the young man and his creation. After Stephen's death, Mrs. Lansford was unable to bear the thought of... Instead, she had the casket sealed obtained permission from the authorities and in the attic. Thereafter, rigid adherence to her promise. Stipulation in her will adjuring all future occupants not to move the vase. When a relative came to live in the house after her death, body torn, Rent apart, found beside the table. I will, I know, eventually lift the vase. And that's all. I couldn't make a lot of sense out of it, I must admit. I tried to read to make out the bits that had faded, but it wasn't possible. On the end of the whole thing was a signature. Matthew Hargrove. Suddenly I remembered seeing in the living room, which I hadn't had time to clean, a small table pushed over against the wall with a cloth covering an object of some bulk. <laughs> that would be it, all right. See what they meant in their letter thing. It is crude. <laughs> Ugly as sin. Matthew Hargrove. Wonder who he was. Or is. 
There was nothing in Uncle's papers about anyone of that name. Matthew Hargrove. Matthew Hargrove. Matthew Hargrove. You're the young chap that bought the Lumsford place? Yes, I uh, I expect to be a regular customer here. Hmm. People don't talk much about what happened to that Hargrove man. Used to be Mrs. Lumsford's lawyer. Wrote up the old woman's will. All queer, that was. All about some bars thing her son made. Hmm? Funny things went on after she died, you see. You want anything more than the razor blade, do you? What funny things? Well, there was Reuben Yates. That was her cousin. Came down when she got sick and stayed. You're from the town, aren't you? You don't get to hear about things like we do down here in the country, you see. What happened to Reuben Yates? Reuben Yates? Ah, well. They found him next to that table with the vase on it. Said he was torn apart. I see. And, and where does Matthew Hargrove come in? Oh, right after. He was the next one to move into the house. And he was the next one found by the table, too. Same as Reuben Yates. People say that they that saw him got sick in their stomachs for weeks afterwards. And then? No more. Nobody else moved into that house. From then till the day you moved in, nobody. Nobody at all. The inference behind Mrs. Culkin's, the lady in the village shop's words, added to those in the fragmented letter, began to take a kind of nagging form in my thoughts. For the rest of that day, I tried to write. I couldn't. No city noises. But there was another distraction now. The vase. And the strange story behind it. The living room drew me. And I went in. I looked at the ugly thing for a long, long time. And then I stretched out my hand to lift it. Suddenly I remembered Reuben Yates and Matthew Hargrove. <laughs> Come on, Roy. Stop being. But even so, I only lifted the thing a quarter of an inch from the little table. It was about ten seconds later that I heard it. <laughs>
I got down on my hands and knees and tried to peer through the keyhole. I couldn't see anything. As I was struggling to my feet, I felt a thin current of air cross my face. A short, warm draft of air. But there was no attic window through which the wind could enter. And the air that struck my face was warm. I bent down again. And this time, I put my ear to the keyhole. It doesn't just mask smells with heavy scent, it actually knocks them right out of the air. Airwick keeps the home sweet with a country fresh atmosphere in every room. Put Airwick on your shopping list. It comes in economical bottle or up to the minute aerosol. Get Airwick. Amazing new biotech soaps stop and stains away. Clean, clean, everything soon will be clean, clean, for all the world to see. Soap, soap, stain away easily when you use new biotech. Get amazing new biotech today and let soaking do the washing. I don't know. Even then, something told me I was meddling in things I could never hope to understand. There was something in the house I knew then that could bathe me in the fires of purgatory forever in the day. But I came down the stairs and placed two more coins under the vase, tilting it further. I immediately returned to the attic door. Days, I was loath to confide in him. No, 
Ah, this could be splendid, Dennis. This room, lights, air. Have to do something with those curtains, of course, but... Uh... And there, uh, what's this? Oh, for the love of heaven, don't touch that bar. Oh, why not? What's the... Sit down. Uh, I'll tell you. Hmm? Sit down. I told him everything that had happened since I took possession of the house. But he made little effort to conceal his skepticism. Oh, Dennis. Come on, man. I mean, you must take me seriously. But granting that what you say is true, what... I mean, what the devil does it mean? I don't know. You read the letter? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. It, it, it just read it in front of you, didn't I? Edward. Promise me. You will not touch that vase. But uh, that put me in the position of uh, subscribing to your fears. Please. All right, promise. Scout's honor. <laughs> I need beer. Lots of cold, cold beer. Come on, the ghost isn't walking at the moment. He promised. Oh, yes. But he promised without believing... And perhaps the very promise he made was a challenge. Next day, he seemed unable to concentrate. Twice when I spoke to him, he didn't hear me. He was in a kind of dream, thinking of something else. I knew what it was. I did everything I could to divert his attention. I read him part of my novel, which had come to a full stop. He listened and made some favorable comments. For a while... But I knew I was not holding his attention. He kept wandering about the house, and inevitably his journeying took him by or into the room where the table and the vase upon it had lived for the past 30 years. This thing seems to fascinate you. Hmm? The vase. Vase? Oh, the vase! <laughs> you can't take your eyes off it. I've been watching you. Oh, at first, well, I thought it was a fairy story. And now? Well, now I'm not so sure. I wonder. Don't. Some malignance is associated with that thing. Some bond ties it to something in the attic. What do you... I mean, something linked with it in, 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 in space or time. Or in the attic. Or in the attic, yes. If you think so, why haven't you been up there to see? It's locked. Well, I couldn't bring myself to break in. There's no time like the present, then. Is there? You game? I... I, I don't know. Well, make up your mind. You, you can't just live here with half-truths. You either find out there's something nasty and horrible around, in which case you move out. Or you find out it's all a silly mistake. Lay the ghost and continue writing your book in peace. And incidentally, I think your book will be very splendid. Thank you. So, let's go and see what's up in the attic. Bring the lamp. All right. Got the lamp? 
Yes. Coat off, I think. Danger. Men at work. Yes. Take it that this is Stephen Lansford's coffin. His mother had him put here. I imagine so. Yes. The vase is the one he made uh, in the letter. Remember? Exactly. Well. Yes, I, I know what you're thinking. It doesn't hold water, Dennis, and you ought to be the first to see it. Nothing about this thing holds water, as you put it. it isn't a bad place to rest. If you were dead, I mean... Dry, at least. Better than six feet under, eh? <laughs> Don't stare at it like that. Nothing's going to rise up out of it, Dennis. Isn't it? No. Ghoulish lot the last, did they? Let's get out of here. Okay. What are you going to do about uh, this room? Attic? noise you talked about. Yes. Care to demonstrate? All right. Listen. I'm, I'm all ears. Slowly, I lifted the green vase half an inch off the table. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Now you've heard. Let's have that drink, and then I think I'm ready for bed. Books come to a dead stop at the moment. Do you know what? If nothing happens with the book, I mean, by the time you leave, I'll come back to town for a while. If and when I sell my book, if it's published and makes money, maybe I'll have you to what are you doing? Put the vase down! 
him, whereupon he lifted the vase high above his head and backed away, grinning madly. Then we heard the attic door beaten down. Edward Clayton's face. Take the bars, Dennis! My God! My God! He dropped the bars, it smashed into a hundred pieces, and then the thing was at the door, and the door opened, and it was in the room! towards the window, and before I crashed through the glass, I half-turned. Something had entered that room beyond my range of sight, for Edward was hanging limply aloft in mid-air. about it then, eh? That's it. Poor Edward. Poor. Poor Edward. <laughs> no, no, steady on. The doctor says you've not to get out of bed. You've had a shock. Poor Edward. I told him. I told him. I did, Sergeant. Yes. Well, the folks from Burnstrom went up there and there he was. Just like the others. It was a thing neither you nor any other man could have done. There's one more thing, sir, I'm afraid to have to tell you. They took matters into their own hands. They burned down your house. Took your stuff out first and set fire to the house. This was just as well. I couldn't have gone back there. Funny thing, though... You said the vase was smashed on the floor. It was. When we found it, all the broken pieces were piled together. As neat as you please. Smack in the middle of the table. Beyond Midnight and the episode Lansford House or The Green Vase here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And this is continuing our month of Halloween ghost stories here in October. And that was brought to us by Joshua. It was his choice. We did one other Beyond Midnight, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which one was that? I'm blanking on the name of the man who sold his soul oh is that the one i think the... that might have been the title or maybe it's a david bowie song it's both <laughs> <laughs> uh but yes it was the one about the gambler who sold his soul to the devil yes um, right those the trick of the calendar year yes uh, yes if i remember correctly i don't think i liked it do we remember that Nothing like three middle-aged men trying to remember a podcast they did a long time ago. Here's my point. That's a big impression. I th yeah, right? I don't think I did like that Beyond Midnight I, that we heard. And I was very suspect of this coming back. 
This is pretty good, man. I really like this. Did you listen to other Beyond Midnights or? Yes, I did because Beyond Midnight has a lot of ghost stories. It was a nice. it was a treasure trove of ghost <laughs> stories. I really had a hard time choosing which one. So I now have two or three other Beyond Midnights that are in my back pocket for uh, <laughs> other podcasts. Well, why uh, this one? I, Before you answer, a little thought entered my head as I was listening to this. Did Joshua choose this just for the advertisements? <laughs> Because they are hilarious. <laughs> we can get into it later, but I just wanted to... It's an extra bonus for sure. <laughs> but they're in all the episodes, so yes, uh, it still made it hard to choose. Beyond me, that is biotech. Just soak. Just right. soak. The uh, soap that never made it to the States. <laughs> that was nope. their tagline. So yeah, I enjoyed this a lot. It reminded me of a lot of other ghost stories, and I don't know if there's a specific trope name for it, but with a writer or scholar looking for a secluded place to do mm-hmm. their art or studying. It made me think of Man Size and Marble with the two artists. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. He wanted to write poetry. Wasn't that right? Most, or... I just thought Stephen King. This is <laughs> There's that too. I, I thought of The Judge's House, which is a Bram Stoker's short story that's adapted by a lot of old time radio shows, including Fear on Four, which we listened I to listened last week. to that one. Yes. Yeah. I do like this idea of like, I'm going to get away into the country and get all this work done, but instead, murder, death. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's inviting it. I need peace and quiet and nothing to happen. Mm-hmm. That's hubris. It's yep. That's that, going to get that you. Plot trick. I need seclusion. I need to be far away from anything that could possibly help me or save me if something <laughs> comes up. <laughs> I also really like the style of presentation in Beyond Midnight. It's mm. doing something very different mm. uh, from Quiet Please, but it reminds me of Ernest Chappell in its simplicity and calm storytelling. My first note was, this reminds me of Fear on 4. It has a Fear on 4 quality to mm. it in its pacing and its non-descriptions to make you understand what's happening mm. and how willing it is to be slow, deliberate, and let things breathe. And so it gives me that real-time, real people doing real things, unlike old-time radio has that sense of, we got 30 minutes to tell this story, keep it moving. <laughs> there's, like there's, Witch's Tale, no one, where nobody breathes, yes. not once. There's very little hysteria, there's very little incidental music, there aren't yep. huge yeah. organ stings, not till the very end when things really heat mm. up, and even those are somewhat subtle organ stings by American standards. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping ahead in the story, there's a really odd moment that I don't know if it's an organ sting or not, when they discover the coffin. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And, and there's the a leaves, horn. Leaves, yeah. And the horn horn that is yeah. happy it's not a dun, 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 dun. Like, uh, what instruments do we have guys <laughs> <laughs> but even that it's way in the distance and it's like da-da, 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 da-da. did you hear that Mm-mm. oh you didn't I catch didn't that catch that no oh i was i wrote I it down like you. what is that what is that signifying and in the upbeatness and the distance of it was really mortifying <laughs> you know like <laughs> whoa why is that playing and if it was intended to be a sting Terrible choice, because I, I could barely hear it, and and it was happy. I don't think it was supposed to be a sting. I, I, I and I'm it was not sure. supposed to be some musical accent of some kind there because of or what was the happening. dead kids playing <laughs> some kind of horn. Don't touch the bass. I'm playing French horn. Uh, but yeah, you're right though. The the choices of when the music comes is very interesting and mm-hmm. very impactful. I was also 
interested in the fact that this was a weird fiction story written originally in the 60s. Yeah. And it has this very turn-of-the-century feel to mm-hmm. it, the style of the story told, but then you have these occasional contemporary moments when the protagonist is very happy with how the writing's going, and he's saying, like, I've already decided oh, where rights. to sell yes. the film rights. And I went, what? It's 1905. You know, I'm so <laughs> used to listening to these old turn-of-the-century ghost stories that that was fascinating to me. It was so interesting to hear the introduction that you wrote for this, because I thought, until we read the introduction, this was a... <laughs> turn-of-the-century Victorian mm-hmm. story that had been adapted. It feels penny-dreadful yeah. in some yeah. ways. Oh, yeah. There were a couple of things I thought were great and innovative. Big picture, as we've been listening to these ghost stories, I've been thinking of ghost stories in general and how they work, and uh, it occurred to me, like, a ghost is a story, and a ghost story is a story about a story, and it's trying to learn that ghost's story, and that's what the story is. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times a good ghost story is... The challenge is how do you share that ghost story? And in a way that's interesting, there's not just some guy sitting down and like, here's what happened 150 years ago. And that letter, that worn letter out of which you can get, here's one in every three sentences. Mm-hmm. or so, That was really sharp. I liked that a yes. lot. The missing information was really well done. Yeah. There's one particular moment where there's an ellipsis between, and so her relative came to stay. Torn apart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's what happens in the gap. It's like, whoa. Do you remember a long time ago, there used to be these games that were on actual floppy disks that you would put in, and there was one where you'd go from room to room and look for clues and then compile, like really old computer games. I'm talking... 30 years ago. This reminded me of playing one of those old yeah. games because you would find things like that, like, oh, here's a piece of paper, but only three on of the, the sentences are on there. Infocom, read note, read note with glass, read note with glass and light. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Then you have to. Yeah. So apply Tim knows things. what you're talking about, clearly. <laughs> Go north. <laughs> <laughs> But doesn't it remind you of that in a certain way, how he is piecing this together, going mm-hmm. through this house? And Well, I like the idea that he's just renting it for a while to finish his novel, and he says a couple times, I only need a few rooms. And so he gets writer's block, and he's not getting very far in the book, and then he starts to just wander around. Mm-hmm. And in a strange way, as a writer, I identify with that. I mean, I don't have any mysteries in my house that I'm aware of, but I do the same <laughs> thing, just kind of wander around puttering because nothing's happening. The and mystery of the water heater. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How does this work? That'll keep me from writing for an hour. <laughs> this story did have the challenge for me of you learn... If you touch the vase that upsets the ghost, mm-hmm. the thing happens and it's scary. Super, what are we going to do? Super glue it down. Stop touching the, the vase. vase. Yeah. <laughs> but what I like about the story, and it is pretty subtle in there, is that part of the ghost story is there's some supernatural compulsion when you find this out that you can't help but do what, it. Because it's, it's wet paint. <laughs> you have to touch it. Yeah. But in the letter, um, that's one of the scraps. Uh, the lawyer says, I will, I know, eventually lift mm-hmm. the face. And that's the last line of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that I found really compelling. And then the irony of the fact that he brings a friend in to distract him from the scary stuff And the friend becomes somehow mesmerized the way this lawyer was. The friend for me was the great part of this story. (laughs) Um, Because 
I acknowledge as this part of the story that's sort of like you want to touch the vase. You're going to put a penny under. You're going to experiment with. It, you're going to play with it. But I just like the thought of this friend was a total wild card. He was the scary part of the story of like <laughs> something in the attic. Let's bust that lock open. Let's head up there. Let's find out what's going on there. Let's break this vase. See what that does. He reminds me of that friend that we all have that you know you probably shouldn't be friends with. I thought he was like a living cat meme. <laughs> <laughs> Knock that off this desk. <laughs> oh, nose. <laughs> Face broken. <laughs> but back to the compulsion, though, I thought that was seeded through very well. One of my favorite lines in this is when the narrator describes Edward's promise not to touch the vase. And he says uh, he promised. Oh, yes, but he promised without believing. And perhaps the very promise he made was a challenge. There's something going on with this guy. He is now enthralled by this vase. And I think his argument that, look, you can't live in this house and think there's some strange noise coming from the attic. Let's go in and look. That's rational on one level. But you, I think, as the listener, also know that there might be something more that's driving him beyond the Mm -hmm. rational thing. Like, just open the door. It's probably not a big deal. Well, that's what I would have done first day. I would have opened the door and said, what's in here? (laughs) One of the creepiest scenes in this entire thing is when he feels like a warm draft come through the mm-hmm. keyhole. And cut to an air freshener commercial. <laughs> come on! <laughs> <laughs> but before the air freshener, <laughs> the idea of realizing that is breath. Somebody's dead breath on your face. And yep. then you need an air freshener. <laughs> yeah, the timing of that was... <laughs> <laughs> Writing-wise, I love how it's laid out that we didn't have to hear the whole story be told to his friend, for example. I know there's some times where people will keep that dialogue in instead to just jump ahead and say, so I explained everything. Yes, thank you, because I've been here. And I think there's a lot of suspense in it. And I really wasn't expecting the coffin. I thought it would be a crazy person wandering yeah. around or some kind of ghost or where they would see that. Mm-hmm. So I like that image a lot and that there was nothing else up there. I thought the sound of the ghost was really well done yeah. because it yes. was half I do. moan, half crazy laugh, half growl. Like it had all these various levels That's of... three halves, Joshua. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> it was... I can't go back and save that map. <laughs> but I think you understand what I'm talking about, people. That it was, was creepy. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. was a little out of it for me. Of, oh, really? Because you pick up the vase. Uh, uh, put the vase down. There's something pick a little the comic vase, about it. Uh, put the vase down. And it's not just a little comical. It's that idea of once you understand the monster, it's not scary. Right. I think if that's that, fair. If, if that triggers it, like you just said, then don't trigger it. Don't pick up the vase. I mean, the scary part then is the compulsion to touch yes. the vase, but it's not the ghost. There was an odd bit of writing for me when they went up to the attic. It looked as though it hadn't been touched in decades when it's been established. Like, nothing in this house has been touched for decades. It's not as if. It's literally nothing's been touched for decades. Good point. Sorry, I got a little... No. Zing, Michael McCabe. <laughs> Dead guy from South Africa. <laughs> unnecessary simile. (laughs) There's a moment at the very end that I couldn't quite decide and still can't decide if it bothered me, amused me, or satisfied me. (laughs) See if you're with me on this. The villagers burned down the house, but they took all your stuff out first. (laughs) My first reaction was like, okay. And then my second one was, uh, and then my third one was like, well, good, 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 that's nice. (laughs) 
<laughs> but it was just this odd addition. It's like someone wrote that and went, oh, that would suck for him. Just have him say yeah. they took all this stuff out first. It's a very polite mob. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. It's like, oh, I'm going to go in and if you box this up, label the kitchen, take it up. <laughs> is this his or was this here? Anyone know? Whose can opener is this? <laughs> Be sure we get the vase. No, wait. <laughs> oh, the bed frame stuck in the stairs. Um, what struck me about that was that, wow, there's like a murder threshold in that village. Like, that's one murder too far. Now we burn the place down. <laughs> wait, everybody that lives there gets torn apart. And now you live there. Yeah. <laughs> If this is all fact for you, shouldn't this have been taken care of a long time ago? Also, question, uh, how does burning it down take care of anything? Well, no one's going to live in it. Does the vase destroyed in the fire? I would assume so. The table is gone. And the smashing it didn't work. And hopefully the body of the dead thing, maybe that will release it. We don't know. You can write the sequel. (laughs) The sequel is he's still alive. He has that vase is sitting in that field. <laughs> Pieces of the vase. <laughs> I did enjoy that little bit of country life versus city life. Of You probably don't hear too much about the dismemberments that constantly happen here in the country. <laughs> <laughs> when was this? When was 60s? Yeah, see, back then, you know, all those threshing machines and all that, people were constantly yeah, losing it's arms. It's news, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we had 56 kids. <laughs> Gonna lose half of them in the thresher. <laughs> I'm not even sure what a thresher is. I've just heard that word. <laughs> I think it's a thing. One of the things that I really liked was when he was leaping through the window and he turns his head and he notices what is going on and describes that Edward is hanging limply aloft in the air and he doesn't see anything at all. And then after his couple seconds to describe that, it goes back to him jumping through the window and we hear this crash of the glass. Like time has slowed down for that moment to describe it. They present it as the way it goes through your head, like time slows down. Mm -hmm. And I I thought that was a nice bit of writing and Foley. There's also a a really big Foley fail in here. I think when the whatever it is comes through the door, they just say we heard the door being smashed down. And it sounds like it was a door made of construction paper. It's this really soft little... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was, but it had a lock on it, so it was hard to get in. They nailed that construction paper over the door. <laughs> well, uh, if there's no other thoughts, maybe send it to the boat. Sure. Tim, you're first. I don't know that I like this as much as you guys, which is not to uh, be too critical of it, but I would certainly say stance test of time. It's a lot going for it. I don't know really I go classic just because there are some beats that are unintentionally comical. And it plays some stereotypes without necessarily putting a twist on them. That being said, there's a lot to love about it and a lot of really well, especially the ending I thought was really well done. The letter as a form of exposition was great. So mm-hmm. a little tempered love. I think it's fantastic. I think it's classic and stands the test of time, even though it's 1968. Is that right? 69. 69. Oh, well then. Oh. Now it's contemporary. <laughs> No, I think it's it's just a marvelous piece. I loved everything about this. I had a really good time. I loved the pace of it. Like I said, it has that fear on four, a modern-esque kind of stylized to it. Uh, don't get me wrong. I like the speed of old-time radio and the descriptors, but Joshua nailed it. When he jumps through the window and sees him levitating, I think I was actually scared. <laughs> <laughs> and I really liked how this was delivered, produced, 
all of it. I didn't mention this at the top when you said, why did I pick this? But part of why I went digging for these ghost stories is uh, we have listened to a lot in the last year of stone cold classics from the great episodes of old time radio. And I wanted to make sure that we were sometimes digging up great old obscure stuff that maybe isn't a like all time classic of radio, but is maybe on the uh, forgotten end of the spectrum, like beyond midnight. And so uh, what I wanted to find is just a really solid ghost story that right. wasn't going to change anybody's <laughs> life, <laughs> but that had some sort of historical interest to it. And that's what I think. This stands the test of time. I think it's a fun ghost story with some great moments, historically interesting because of the South African radio and that it's a story written in the 60s mm-hmm. and somewhat contemporary to when it was adapted. Not a classic in my mind. But just really good. And that's true Mm -hmm. of Beyond Midnight. There's a lot of really solid adaptations and original works in that series. All right. Tim, please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That's our website that hosts this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. You'll also find ways to get a hold of us. You can get a hold of us through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. You can leave comments on the episodes. You can there's a contact page just to let us know what you think. You can also find information about our live shows because we do live performances of existing radio scripts. It's awesome. Go check it out. Yeah, and while you're online, why don't you go to patreon.com slash themorals and check out our Patreon page. Uh, and uh, you can support the podcast if you desire. We have a lot of uh, rewards for um, different membership levels. We have a bonus members-only secrets of the old-time radio... Mystery that, vault mystery thing? Mystery vault thing, yeah. We don't even know what it's called. It's really, it's top it's secret. It's secret. Shh. I don't know why I'm telling you this. <laughs> <laughs> just go to patreon.com slash themorals, and when you're done giving us money, write us a review. We just want so much from you. We're monsters. <laughs> well, we also want you to listen to the next episode, which, as we continue our October... Halloween month of ghost stories. We are delving into the listener library to grab a uh, listener request. And that is a request from Amy Pavi of the great podcast 12 Chimes It's Midnight. Uh, And she has recommended Good Ghost from Quiet Please. Until then. Look out! In the middle of the attic floor stood a coffin. 